What do we do when we find ourselves up against the many leadership challenges that exist within our chosen careers? We all have goals and achievements that we would like to accomplish. Unfortunately, these desires don't come equipped with insight or awareness on how to bring these accomplishments to light. In essence, this is why the Dream Octane Niche Finder Framework was formed. Our founder, Clifton C. Manning, spent the first 17 of his 20-year career in healthcare working with physicians and healthcare leaders to achieve patient-centric goals while possessing only an associate's degree in applied science. At times, these challenges were daunting, and he felt unqualified to achieve the success he wanted. However, he focused on becoming intentional in reading every leadership book that he could find, as well as attending frequent seminars in areas where he saw opportunities to improve. Over time, as he applied insights gained from these various sources, he was able to successfully and efficiently cross the hurdles he found himself up against. Eventually, varying degrees of success within his sphere of leadership influence became more evident. The Niche Finder podcast is intended to bring similar insight to you, the listener, from those who have achieved some level of noteworthy success in their chosen career. Our hope is that the challenges they have overcome in the past will provide insight for your current leadership struggles and unlock the dream of achieving success in your own career. We believe that if innovative change is an engine, your unique dreams and abilities could be its fuel. And now I present to you the host of the Niche Finder podcast, Clifton C. Manning. I want to welcome you to this version of the Niche Finder podcast. Today we have calling all the way from Indianapolis. We have the Sextants that are joining us today. They just wrote a book uh, called The Titanic Effect. This book is about how you can successfully navigate the uncertainties that sink most startups. They have 20 years experience in this space, and I just can't wait to have them share their experience with you, our niche finder community. So without while further ado, and by way of this introduction, I would like to introduce the niche finder community. Thank you so much for being part of this program today. Well, thanks for inviting us. It's a pleasure to be here, and we look forward to having a good conversation. We hope. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So listen, um, again, we have Todd and also Kim Saxon on. Um, they're, they're partners in this business, but you you can answer this however you want. You can either answer collectively or answer individually. But why would the audience have an invested interest in your journey? Well, uh, to the extent that you have a lot of wonderful guests on and uh, some great advice for people. So we, we hope that we, from our perspective, can bring a little extra added value and, and maybe some pieces of unique insight. Um, having been educators now uh, in the university kind of setting for 20, 25 years, and before that, consultants, uh, helping business people and particularly entrepreneurs. Uh, and, and that doesn't mean you're starting you know a huge venture. It could be a side gig. But helping people find not only their personal niche, but how that fits into the business and their, their ventures niche uh, is something that we care deeply about and, and have had the opportunity to coach a, a number of folks over the years, our, our students, our alums, people in the venture community. And uh, that's the perspective that we hope to bring to, to this, the group today. Yeah, or said even slightly differently, for the kid who used to dig clams and sell them <laughs> on the Jersey Shore, and you know, right. now is an esteemed author and uh, award-winning uh, business school professor, I mean, right. who doesn't want to hear that journey? Or over here, 
you know, the Girl Scout cookie seller who went to MIT, but ended up teaching marketing. I think those are some pretty interesting journeys as well. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested and, and it's interesting that you brought that up. I didn't get a chance to, uh, start, uh, trolling Todd, but I did troll some of your LinkedIn, but I got a sneaky suspicion that you guys are into education. I don't know. Just something <laughs> about the titles. <laughs> and I think that is beautiful. And the fact that I, I'm not surprised that there is, uh, there's some awards in there as far as with teaching the short time that we've been interacting and, and what I've seen so far, I can see that you're really passionate about what you do. And I do want to get to that. But tell me, before we get to that, this part of your journey, um, what type of internal struggles did you find yourself running into at the start of this process of yours? Yeah, so I think I can take that one maybe easier. So I was um, one of those kids who like took all the math in high school, did computer programming, all that. So it's really, really logical. Everybody in my house mm-hmm. was like, oh, sure, she's going to go to MIT. I got to MIT, and after my first uh, coding class at MIT, I was like, wow, I don't want to do this for my whole life. (laughs) I think it would be more fun to manage the people who are doing this. So uh, what am I going to have to do? Do I have to leave this school? Um, So instead, I went down to the business school to say, oh, hey, how how do you get a bachelor's degree in business from MIT right now? Mm. And, um, you know, it turned out they didn't really have the classes I needed. I had to go and take some classes at Harvard. And and lo and behold, I mean, I think this is one of those things about if you understand your passions and you go with your passions, sometimes the world aligns itself to help you. Uh, my advisor looked at everything and he said, you know what? You could graduate early. You have enough credits. And so I actually was able to graduate after changing my major from computer to business in three and a half years and go out there and start making some cash. Wow. Wow. I, I, I love that. I And I love the agility that you have uh, just from even just the academic portion of it to be, be able to say, listen, I'm going to shift gears. For some people, that would be a life altering decision. I mean, that's something like you would say, like, oh, I'm probably going to add another two years to my degree. And here it is. You you even in that process, you were able to accelerate um, through your journey. I, I find that fascinating. Well, like I said, I think sometimes karma in the universe opens up. Now, the call to my parents was a rough one. When I told my dad I was going to switch from computers to business, he goes, you're never going to make any money. <laughs> what is, it's, better, it's better that you say I'm going to switch it to ceramics or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would have been an awkward moment. I think an even more awkward moment, but uh, I think that's beautiful. Sure. Uh, Todd, did you want to build on that or did you want to talk about your external struggles? Oh, so, you know, interestingly, just kind of reflecting, uh, as Kim said, you know, from clamming on on the Jersey Shore and selling newspapers on on the street corner uh, back when the Philadelphia Bulletin was around, um, Mm. you know, that I would still be doing that today if that was like a living. Right. Because I had (laughs) I had what I thought was a great life. And so when you talk about struggles, my journey, finding myself and my way to contribute um, may have taken longer, but I never felt like it was a struggle. It's a journey. And and that's one thing I would say in terms of finding your niche is it's for some people, it takes time, right? And it, it shouldn't have to be a struggle all the time. It's okay sometimes to just tread water, right? And to, to wait for those inflection points. And I think that's something that, that we try and help our students, uh, people that we work with again, and, and particularly um, entrepreneurs, 
that there are inflection points that can lead in two directions, right? One is the positive inflection point. You get that first big customer, the first investor, but there are also negative inflection points. There are things that, that derail you. And that's really what the focus of the book is. What are some of those icebergs that, that a startup can hit? And I think that's very true of the personal journey as well. You know, we're all going to go through challenges with relationships, challenges with jobs, um, and not having that be such a negative inflection point that it, it gets you away from your niche. Uh, and, and on the other hand, when there are those flashes of, of hope, inspiration, insight, and, and promise, where you kind of get a glimpse of, wow, I could do that. And, and for me, that glimpse was provided by my dad, who was a professor of psychology. And we were, Kim and I were married, and I was kind of having that. I, I love this consulting stuff that I was doing, but you know, more and more it was about sales and it was a lot of travel and tough on family life. Um, and he said, well, have you ever thought of being a professor? Um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty good gig. You get to work with a, a lot of students. And that for me was one of those inflection points and moments of insight where it's like, wait, I, I'm not that old. I can go back. I could get my PhD, go into academia and share some of what I've learned in consulting and learn more and do research around what it takes for startups and large organizations to be successful. Um, and I, again, when you have those moments of, of uh, hope and inspiration that kind of lead you to hopefully your niche, uh, being able to pursue that and, and having courage, perseverance, uh, a supporting partner, uh, all of that can, can make a huge difference in turning those inflection those potential inflection points into positive momentum. Yeah. So that inflection point where he went from making over six figures to $19,000 a year. Wow. That's a yeah. big inflection that's, point. Yeah. yeah that, that, that is, that will change things a little bit. You know, that sounds like a rice and beans moment. You know? <laughs> well, Mac, I love it. Our case, but rice yeah, there was a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. Some combination there. <laughs> I love it. So, so here I'm going to go off script slightly and ask you a different question that I would normally ask. Normally I would ask like, what roadblocks would you, uh, did you overcome? But I would love to know what roadblocks would your book help the listeners overcome? Great question. And yeah. so I think uh, there are roadblocks that come up from the start about how to get mm -hmm. things organized and who to be involved in your initiatives. And so we give some really great advice to thinking about who you start your journey with. I mean, no matter what, who you are and what you're doing, you're going to be on a journey. And just like any hero quest, you know, the hero has supporters. He has challenges and he has supporters. And being able to identify who your right supporters are and, and know their superpowers that you can call on, right? Because you need different supporters in different situations. I think our book really tries to help you think about issues that will help you choose the right partners from the beginning to help you on this journey. And also, if you don't have the right partners, you know, tough conversations are always tough. So you should do them earlier. <laughs> Get them out of the way. Don't let a tough conversation be a roadblock. You know, you got to know that it's a tough conversation and you just got to tackle it and, and move it to the side. So I think that's mm -hmm. what makes that. Todd, what are some other roadblocks you think? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of a kind of myth and, and hype about 
the entrepreneurial journey and it's all about going out and raising venture capital and you know getting those millions of dollars of investment and things and that that isn't everybody's journey that isn't everybody's niche in in the venture world and not getting trapped by expectations of others of of what success looks like if you can make a living solving a problem for some customers and keep the lights on and keep a roof over your head that's a huge accomplishment right and something that should be celebrated so uh, again one of those roadblocks i think people put up is largely mental that it's what what success looks like uh and and there are as you know from from your guests and from your own journey there are many different ways to kind of operationalize what that actually looks like and and how that manifests and and hopefully talking to others and getting the right people around you that support that that vision um are things that can help reduce some of those roadblocks mm. so that in a nutshell is what i consider to be just a sliver of your journey and it sounds like it's a sliver of a journey that can can help someone overcome some things some icebergs as you put it in your book um yeah. in in their life and i think you know having that healthy perspective and have your book sound like it, it it will help us to navigate around these these things that are that that as you put it in your book sink many startups and so i appreciate you sharing that portion this part right now i really want to find out what i consider to be uh the niche right Right? And the niche falls into five categories. In my opinion, it's uh, your passions. Uh, what do you do that feels purposeful? Uh, what are your uh, patterns of what you do naturally well? Uh, proficiencies of what you learn to do well over time. And then problem solving, which really includes problem finding. So if we go back up to the top. Uh, what were your 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 passions? What did you do that when you did it, you feel like you you were ignited? Yeah, so this is one place where as partners, it's really great that our passions sort of complement each other. And, and, you know, sometimes your partners, you get along because you're very similar. Sometimes your partners, you get along because you're really different. In our case, we get along because we're like two puzzle pieces that, you know, come together and make a whole. So for me, it's data. I mean, I started math. I went to IT. I love data. I love thinking about data. I like looking at how the data helps you. Um, and I and I it's a it's a, a balancing that with also understanding how people behave and how they think. Um, and so being able to balance data and reality um, to help myself and others be successful, I can help key in on key problems and why those problems exist and then start to think about how to brainstorm them. Todd has different skills, which I don't know if he wants me to say what they are, if he was going I'd to say I'd love to hear your how you would articulate it. Go ahead. <laughs> so his, a roll, babe. Yeah, so his passion's really all about the big picture. He loves the big vision, what it could be possible you know, what are, what are you put on earth to do? How can we help you find that? And then how, how does we help you accomplish that? And so mm. me going, oh, let's look at all the nitty gritty details. And then he comes in and says, let's step back and look at the whole, right? Mm. And so it's a really nice iterative process. On top of that, you might imagine that people who are really into data are sometimes kind of Boring is not the right word, but sort of straightforward. <laughs> this dude is the humorous guy. He, this guy you need on your team because he will diffuse all of the animosity in the room fairly quickly and take 
pleasure in making everyone chuckle. <laughs> mm. So, so I, I, I have a, another sneaking suspicion that that uh, life-size uh, elf that's behind you must have come from Todd. Oh, yes. Oh, it's definitely. <laughs> uh, big up to Lords of the Rings. <laughs> I forget the guy's name, but it just caught Excellent. my attention as you... <laughs> Excellent. All right. So that's your passion. What do you do that feels purposeful? What do you do that when you do it, you feel like you were made for that moment? I'll let him start. So, and I think this is one area where we, we have a lot of commonality in terms of... Um, those moments that we particularly appreciate and, and feel purpose. And that is part of that changing the world. Part of that is seeing that vision is not as much about what we do to affect it, but how we enable others, our, our students particularly, um, but others that, that we are able to interact with um, be world changers. And, and as you know, like changing the world is hard, right? Innovating even in a small way is really tough. And we both find a lot of purpose in, I think, three different elements of that. One is, as professors and you know, people who have studied these concepts over a lot of time, we understand the content behind it, right? And, and there are, there's data that can be brought to that. There are tools, um, but but the second is, how do you actually connect people to each other? Think of it in terms of degrees of separation. Most people are entrepreneurs and others are three to five degrees of separation away from the five people that can help them be successful. And if because of our network and relationships in the community, if we can shorten that for an entrepreneur from being a two to three year journey uh, and and distal connections, meaning, you know, they're, they're hard to make and we can enable that to happen in three to six months and they can have the conversations with the right advisors, the right customers who can give them good perspective and move along their journey more rapidly, um, connecting people who have are like-minded and can help each other, it gives both of us a lot of purpose. And our role in the in the community and as being part of the university, you know, as professors, we're not super threatening, hopefully. Um, and I think people get what we're doing and, and they don't, you know, pers- believe that there's an ulterior motive to, to what we're trying to accomplish. So that, I think, helps open doors. And then we can connect people uh, to, to help each other. And I, again, I think that gives both of us a lot of purpose um, in feeling that we're helping a community get get better, uh, but also the people that we're, we're interacting with. Hmm. So let me ask you this. Um, what do you do that's um, a pattern of yours? And I ask both of you, uh, what do you do naturally well? Well, he's really athletic. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Natural athlete, you know, name a sport. He can do it pretty quickly. First try, whatever. That sort of agility that you and strength that you use, you know, that athletes have. So that's, that's, that's pretty exciting. But, um, I mean, I don't know. Mine is, what is mine? You say what mine is. Well, actually, and, and I think, in a business context, but also in others, seeing patterns in mm. pieces of data and making sense-making from those patterns is a pattern. And something that we riff off each other a lot in doing is trying to put that puzzle together. And um, again, whether it's analytics and, and data-driven or observing behavior, uh, we really enjoy that and our part of our pattern is 
helping identify what is the pattern here? What's the larger structure? How do these pieces fit together or how can or or should they fit together? Oh, and the gap, right? Yeah. So part of that is to find the gaps by looking at what there is and the overlap among them. It's it You have to find the gap because the gap is where you're going to find where you need to be and the hole that needs to be filled. I particularly love looking around at all those issues and categorizing them and sort of organizing them and then saying, oh my gosh, there's a gap here. This gap mm. needs to get, get plugged. Mm. So Albert Einstein says, you can't solve a problem at the same level at which it was created. So if we take go from patterns to proficiencies, what have you learned to do well over time? Well, I'll speak for myself. One thing that as, as Kim said, I like to kind of step back and, and look at the big picture. And sometimes folks who have that tendency, including myself, are ne- not necessarily good at following through on the details uh, and, and the, the tactical piece of things. And I'll, I'll use an example from the, the process of creating the book. Um, I had the idea, right, and, and the metaphor of the Titanic. And we talked about writing a book and Kim was like, Okay, so let's see a first chapter. And that's one of her proficiencies is translating vision to to action, actually moving things forward uh, and and organizing and and helping make that happen. Um, And and one thing I've had to work on and and how it came out in the book was that discipline of saying, okay, that first step has to be, I'm going to write that first chapter. And I worked at it and it took me weeks. And um, shared it with Kim, and then we shared it with others. We did do what we tell every entrepreneur to do: send it to people, even people you don't know that well, mm. and get their feedback and figure out what you got right, but more importantly, what you didn't get right and what you need to change. And once we had that first chapter as as kind of a conceptual map for the rest of the book, I cannot in any way say it wrote itself because it certainly didn't. <laughs> but mm. um, that that gave us that uh, that, that kind of seed, I, I think, to build on. So um, again, I, I don't mean to be evasive about the question, but a proficiency that I've had to build over time is moving from big picture and ideas to actually implementing and, and getting things done. Right, and mm. there has to be part of your your day, part of your week uh, that uh, is part of that. If you're just kind of constantly gazing into the future (laughs) you don't necessarily get there (laughs) yeah um oh go ahead kim you want to say my proficiency is again a compliment to him which is i am really good at putting together the tactical list of things that need to be done Mm. and marching the ball down the field and over the line i mean Mm. over and over and over again once you see the gap i can flesh out a plan marshal all the resources create compelling vision so that others agree with me and then block and tackle and you know until that thing is done i'm like a bulldog i don't get distracted Mm. i have a list i get him to write a chapter (laughs) Mm. and then i try to write a chapter that mirrors it once he got back up off the floor going holy cow he actually wrote (laughs) wrote a chapter Fairness, the first thing I said was find a publisher because I thought if he, I was not going to bother writing anything until he had a publisher, right? Mm -hmm. And he turned that around in like 27 days. I was like, wow. 
I guess I need to give you more tasks. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> it's easier to just play play the uh, backfield and just pretend as if you can't do the thing. But now that you see you can do the thing, you know, uh, I believe it's Oliver Wendell Holmes that says a mind that is stretched by a new experience can never go back to its old dimension. And so guess what? You just got more. You just got more on your plate there, sir. <laughs> so um, I love it. Um, you know, if basically what you were talking about actually reminds me of uh, a group, a cohort that we were part of in, in business school the last year. I was part of a cohort and I remember the, the previous year, I would admire how well they wrote papers. And I didn't understand how well they wrote papers until I was then a part of that group. And then I saw how they had a, it was an iterative process that they used. Started out with a hot mess document. Everybody just started retooling it, retooling it. And then we would meet like every couple of days and just do a, a shared document until eventually it came out and it was pristine. Not because it was perfect to begin with, but it was perfect because over time we, we kept kept working that thing. Right. And so I kind of hear that in your journey. So I appreciate you sharing that. The last question I ask you as far as with your niche is uh, what problems do you solve for others? Yeah, a long list of problems. <laughs> so as academics, we sort of expanded our niches. Right. So I started out as a marketing professor. I've done a lot of work in personal branding and leadership, and particularly for women and minorities attorney, um, about how to, you know, really find your niche professionally and have a strategic plan um, to do that. Uh, and so I help a lot, a wide variety of people. I have a large number of mentors. I've run a couple of programs helping women figure out how to get promoted. Um, uh, and so helping people figure out their superpower and how to leverage that superpower into a career that impacts an organization and then drive up their impact inside their organization because of the way they can think and the systematic processes that they use that you got trained in business school, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's really what I do. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess, and we we talk about this in, in the book and in our research, um, one problem that a lot of people we interact with in, in the startup community face is that they see being an entrepreneur, the, the entrepreneurial journey as being risky and helping them get over the that to to translate instead to recognize that the entrepreneurial journey is one of uncertainty and could you fail yes um but risk risk is like playing cards or games of dice right you come up with probabilities you roll the dice some people will bet on you know uh, snake eyes or you know two ones and and some people won't bet on dice at all because it's too risky um and and it's been shown through research in decades of research now that entrepreneurs are not any more inclined to take risks to go to vegas to play cards to play dice games of dice or chance uh than anybody else but they're more comfortable navigating uncertainty so getting through that thinking of problem solving as a journey that unfolds over time and not getting into that, oh, it's risky kind of fight or flight um, me mentality. And, and you know, the, the good thing, if you teach entrepreneurship, you really have to fundamentally believe that you can help people get better at it. I can't get people any better at rolling dice or playing cards, um, you know, maybe understanding the probabilities, etc. But navigating that journey of uncertainty and feeling comfortable that 
oh, if a customer loses, I lose a major customer, I'm going to have to replace him with a different one. And I'm going to find that customer. And I have tools and, and a mechanism to help me navigate that that journey. Um, that That is how I like to think of helping our students and others we work with problem solve is to view the journey differently. Hmm. Well, I can tell you the collective response from the both of you on that question and right there uh, definitely resonated with me. So I appreciate you sharing that. <laughs> uh, this next section, um, I, I, I want you to imagine yourself and I only have like two questions for you, but I want you to imagine yourself not as the professors that you are. But I want you to speak to the student that you once were, right? And so I want you to now give the secret that will help accelerate the student version of yourself from where they are at that moment in time to where you are today. What one secret would you share? All right, I'm going to share. That's Yoda uh, in front of. <laughs> I didn't even see Yoda. You see, you was you was yeah. covering up Yoda just for this moment. Yoda. <laughs> yes, find your niche. You will. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Um, so, and, and the reason I refer to that is the, the patience piece. And there were times in the, my younger self was impatient in wanting to get to the answer, wanting to figure out what my career was going to be, et cetera. And being patient on that journey is what led me to a number of wonderful things, including meeting Kim, discovering my career as an academic, um, and, and being a professor and having a very, very fulfilling life with that. And there, there were times, again, where I think my younger self was, was too anxious to, to get to the end of the story mm. instead of enjoying living the, the journey. Mm. Kim? Yeah, so mine's a little different, and it harkens back to the first class I stood up and taught at the university at 8 o'clock in the morning, and it was about advertising. And I really did have the philosophy at that moment that, well, I was the professor, so everything I said would be golden, and the student's job was really to absorb every golden bit that I had. And what I wish I would have known before then that I've learned very much the hard way by not being successful at times is that really your job isn't to share knowledge. Your job, no matter what you're doing, is to provide the information that you have to the person you're speaking to in the way that they can absorb it. Right? And so that means, like you take a classroom People absorb information in different ways. Some like to read it. Some like to see it. Some like to hear it. Some like to move and touch it. And so my job, whether it's I'm selling my concept or whatever, is to understand who am I talking to? How do they need to hear information? What's important to them? And then it's my job to change my information so that they can actually absorb it. Mm. You know, if I were to take this moment and put it into another analogy, it almost feels like lemonade, man. It feels like a refreshing moment. <laughs> the information that you're sharing, I'm sure the community who's listening, um, there is some resonance happening. Um, and because it is, it is so not only con the way that you're explaining it, but just the substance behind, um, the, the value of the words that you're giving, um, to people. I find that it's, um, 
it's it's invaluable in my opinion. And I'm sure that anyone listening could uh, could find some nugget that they can apply to their own journey. So I do appreciate you sharing that. I do want to ask you the very last question, uh, and that would be, how do you know when it's time to change course versus staying focused on your goal? Go ahead. When it stops being fun. Mm. Like when the stress of it is more than the fun of it, you know, like there are moments we have even as academics and then, but I'll tell you like this past fall, I was teaching a class and I got done teaching the class. I was like, yes, I just love that class. I mean, if you just can't say, yes, I just loved that frequently enough get you past the Rocky moments, you got to do something different. That's good. Now that doesn't mean that like every moment is joyful. I can tell you, grading, grading sucks. I hate mm-hmm. grading. I don't love everything about being a professor, but I recognize like there are things we do that are just the table stakes and don't bring joy to every moment. But as as Kim said very well, if you're not having some of those moments of, of joy, and the, the other I would say is important to consider, and it's not really that everybody has multiple niches, but we all wear multiple hats, right? We we have our parent hat, our our spouse, uh, you know, son, and 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 other relationships. And when you find that your niche is actually disrupting uh, uh, your whole set of relationships and things that are important to you, that's a good time to think. I think step back and and reconsider. Um, whether it's time to, to pivot or move in a new direction. Hmm. So to our niche finder community, again, we have Todd and Kim Saxton on today. And um, so, so many words of wisdom. If someone wanted to get in contact with you, how would they go about doing that? Yeah. So the easiest thing is to find us at the university. So he's T Saxton at IU.edu, IU for Indiana University. And I'm MK Saxton at IU.edu. But they can also go to the website, www.titanicaffect.com. And um, people email us from there all the time, too, which is always fascinating. And we would love to hear from anybody who has thoughts, comments, questions, uh, anybody we can connect with and, and share any ideas we have. We're, we're happy to do so. And uh, it's been a great pleasure having the conversation with you tonight. So thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely my pleasure. And to our niche finder community, for those who are looking to find a way to discover, develop, and or deliver their niche, uh, you can definitely reach us on dreamoctane.org. That's dreamoctane.org. And on top of the links that we'll have for our guests today, we'll also have a brand new Facebook group for those people who are interested in turning their journey into a written uh, work of art, a book, you know. So that first book, if you want to become a first-time author, this, this Facebook group is for you. And so we can just join that again and that will come with its own amenities. But uh, it, all of that really trees up to this one mantra that we have, which is if innovative change is an engine, your unique dream and ability could be its fuel. We want to, again, thanks to Saxlands for being part of our program today. And we look forward to having the very next guest on our program that can help you on your journey towards success. Thanks again. Thank you. <laughs>